0: Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, stay with us as the suns gets set to shine. Here's Mary. The gar heard. Here's the jump shot. Comes to Marley. A long three. He got him. He got him. Into Booker. Here's the three. Tuesday. Sir Charles. And he flies in for a wham, bam, slam. Bravo time.
1: Welcome to 7 Seconds or Less. This is a podcast about the NBA with a Phoenix Suns focus. My name is Max McCauley, a.k.a. Podcast Boy, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host. His name is David Nash. David, how you doing?
2: I'm doing good. Uh, I'm getting jealous that I don't have my own introduction name to, to throw into the pod. I, I believe our guest even got one last week that I haven't seen him change his username over to, but it's been good to have a little break from Suns basketball, Max.
1: He did, Kevin, our, Kevin, (laughs) Kevin,
2: I confused you with your
1: co-host already. Oh my God. Uh, Kevin, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself since I'm clearly incapable of doing it and introduce yourself using uh, your new, uh, your new title, I guess, your slogan title. We
0: joked that I was just going to like curse like 37 times in this podcast (laughs) after not being able to on ours. And I was about to just like freak out. That's a joke, but... (laughs) Hi, I'm Kellen. I write about the Suns and cover them.
1: I want your uh, your Twitter bio, your new Twitter bio thing, Kellen.
0: Oh, I'm insufferably exasperated, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) I don't know how you cover the Suns and you're not insufferably exasperated, but... It's to each his own, I guess. I love
1: it. Willful blindness, I guess. Uh, well, I'm usually a bit much, but I'm a little a little hungover after a wedding yesterday, so I'm going to need you to be a bit much today, Kellen, and you too, David, please. Always. I'll uh,
2: I'll ramp it up a little bit for you, but I'm excited to have Kellen on. I was I was taking a look. It was all the way back on episode nine. That Kellen last joined us, and we're up to 39 today, Max.
1: Our first ever guest, and also our first ever repeat guest, right?
2: Exactly. Yeah, well, we're excited
1: for it. Love so, it. So today we're going to talk about, uh, most of you listening probably know, Kellen went on with John Bloom on the on 98.7 and had an interview with both James Jones and Igor. And a lot of good stuff came out of that, so we want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, then we're going to move on to future stuff, talk about free agency, and then we're going to have our long-awaited Max and Kellen drag-out Zion argument. Because I don't know if you know this, listeners, but Zion, uh, Kellen hates him. Yeah, he, he sucks. Trade the <laughs> uh, But Before we get into that, David, I think you want to do a little recap, right?
2: Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, we're not currently playing Suns basketball, which, as I said, has been a nice little break. But the Suns are currently 11-48. and 48, And you're ready for the most depressing roll-off of records probably so far this year, mm, Max. We we're last in the league, just half a game in front of or behind the New York Knicks. Last in the conference, 12 games behind Memphis. And last in the division, 18 games behind the LA Lakers. But no games to discuss this week. So more about what happened off the court, as you said, Max.
1: Yeah, we'll get into that stuff. Uh, I think it's funny how we're just behind the Lakers though. Lakers are second to last in Pacific. That's I, I guess that makes sense now that I'm thinking about it.
2: And a, a pretty outside chance to make the playoffs. You never get better against LeBron, but you know it, that might be something to watch for the rest of the season for sure. Yeah, that'll be interesting. But uh, all right, let's
1: move on to the interviews that Kellen did. So I want to start... We're going to go through a couple of James Jones's quotes. I thought they were really interesting. Mm-hmm. Kellen, you asked James Jones about the, uh, how the, you know, the rosters has the length and the talent to be a good team defensively. Uh, so you asked him why they aren't, essentially... Uh, Jones responded by saying, you know, team defense is tough. You need communication. The guys don't really do that. I thought, I thought his better point, though, his more interesting point was a double-edged sword point, where, uh, you know, they're, they're young and athletic and long, and they get out there, and they, and they cause havoc on the perimeter, but that's, at the same time, when you do that kind of stuff, you get exploited, right? You need to be a little more patient to play uh, more consistent defense. And I guess my question for you is, how much of this is, is Igor to be blamed for? Uh, should he have a better scheme for this stuff, or, or maybe one of his assistants, Joe Prunty? Or is this more just the young players to you know they just aren't capable of executing uh, a balanced defense yet?
0: I've got to be honest, I've never been a guy, and I think people have understood this like following me on Twitter that it has been too advanced in terms of like schemes and play design and things like that. I think that's something that's gonna come along for me once I' cover a sun's team that wins thirty games and then I'll go from there. <laughs> but there's so many there's so many problems with this team, and I think one of the main issues is it, offensive sets, of course, we see them like all the time, but like defensively. They're so inconsistent that you can't really tell what they're trying to do sometimes. Like, yes, they're mm-hmm. trying to chase guys off the three-point line or keep them there or whatever. I think there is a there is a way in which to maximize the current situation, and Igor is not able to do it. Now, how many coaches in the league would be able to do it? It's less than five. It might be even less than three. It's It's a very tough situation right now. But Mm. there's clearly coaches across the league that could get more out of the situation than he could, and I think that's really the best way to talk about Igor, because he's a first-year coach. He's clearly learning on the job. I think that's the thing that people forget about him, is that Mike Budenholzer came here, he had interviews with the Suns, he spent like a whole day with the Suns from what we heard, and met with Robert Sarver, and then decided to go to Milwaukee, which is what a lot of us would do in that situation, I bet. Uh, David Fisdale reportedly got offered the job but went to the Knicks, which, of course, those are two more appealing jobs. But at the same time, Igor was their third choice from what we know, and it could have been even lower down the list. So with that in mind, he was that because he was never an NBA-experienced head coach, but a guy up and on the rise. And it just so happens that his rise has to come, his rise, quote-unquote, because it's not happening, of course, is coming with this team and their current situation. So I that's my long-winded way of saying that I don't think he's doing the best job he could be doing right now on both ends of the court, specifically defensively I think is where they've just been the worst and if anyone's going to get upset with Igor, it shouldn't be about Aiden getting the ball or whatever or rotations, it should be the defensive schemes. But it's the it's his biggest weakness right now. I would say is in game adjustments and learning that, but also like the defensive schemes because he was an offensive minded coach when he came into. David knows this a lot more than I do with the deep dive he did on him. But yeah, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, David, you want to jump in and comment on that because as Kellen said, you uh, you were maybe the most pro Igor voice on Twitter uh, right up after the
2: hire. Yeah, and I was I've probably been the most negative about Igor in terms of yeah defensive scheme. I think Kellen hit the nail on the head there with a lot of stuff is, you know, he could be doing a hell of a lot better job on that end. You know, I, in my deep dive early on, I expected them to drop Aiton a hell of a lot more um, and try and, you know, use his presence in the middle and funnel guys towards him. Whether they, you know, found out in camp that they didn't really have the personnel to do that. I think the guard play, we talk about the guard play a lot on the offensive end, but I think that's hurting them a lot uh, on the defensive end as well. Uh, when you see a guy like, you know, Melton as a rookie come in and have an effect on that end, I think it says a lot for, you know, what other options Igor has on the defensive end. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think there's definitely cause for criticism there. The only thing that I would say is that, you know, I think this is happening overall with development with these young guys. As soon as uh, the sun essentially made the switch to move more of these young guys into the, the starting lineup is, you know, I think Igor's is kind of prepared for these guys to, to take their lumps early for long-term development. Now, you <laughs> There's an argument there whether that's kind of having the players lose faith in him or whether it's, you know, risking his job longer term. But, you know, you don't draft a guy like DeAndre Ayton and then uh, try and protect him at, at every level with his defense because, you know, Igor's talked about it quite a lot. You know, if you draft a guy like Ayton, you want to be able to play probably three wings and a, you know, primary initiator around him and have him clean up a lot of the mistakes. Now, what we're seeing is a lot of mistakes out there, but I guess the hope is eventually... Uh, it fast tracks the development and you kind of have a better defensive five out there with Aiton anchoring it
1: yeah that's a nice segue because I want to get into what uh, James Jones said about Aiton and this is more offensively we can get into defense also Kellen asked him sort of what's the process for Aiton to continue to improve on offense You know, even though he's been pretty pretty damn good so far mm-hmm. uh, Jones mentioned I thought this is, this is smart and, and true it, it, Aiton's been a lot about it's natural ability for him right it's feel it's always been that way he just, he's just a really you know, talented basketball player uh, but he doesn't really know the fundamentals, so I think that's it's really been, they've been drilling that down on him all season. That's why, you know, they don't let him shoot threes, it doesn't seem like. Although there's an argument whether he can make threes. <laughs> but they also, <laughs> he when he faces up, they don't really let him do a lot of dribble moves and stuff like that. They're really just focused on him just doing the most basic center stuff. And I kind of want to ask you both, uh, we'll start with Kellen, to the extent you think that's a good idea. I, I think not having him shoot threes is probably a good idea. I don't really understand not letting him try to dribble. More try to do you know a little more attacking from face up opportunities. I think he's been kind of good at it so far, but in the limited you know amount of times he's done it,
0: I think it's on him. Hmm. I think Hmm. he's getting the ball in those spots. You can certainly get him the ball in those those spots more, as everyone and their mother and their cousin and their aunt has told me on Twitter that they need to do a better (laughs) job of giving him the ball. I think he's getting the ball there. The problem was in the first. Would you? When would you guys say we went away from U of A? Like twenty games in, twenty-five games in, fifteen? <laughs>
2: You know, I don't know if it was when we went away from him, but that Brooklyn game really stands out for me. They were playing a lot of, uh, you know, eight and through the high post with, you know, some success. We saw a lot of flashy eight and passes, four, five assist games, and then they just schemed the hell out of him in that game, and we pretty much didn't see it after that. If my memory serves me correct,
0: yeah, it's going to be dope in thirty years when we're going to have analytics for everything because I would want to look up exactly how many times he got a post touch and passed out of it within five seconds, because that percentage dropped way down in the past month and a half, I would say two months, mm-hmm. to yep. where he was getting the ball in the post, and if he was 16 feet out, he just immediately passed it out. He wouldn't even like face up and look around for a second and see what was going on. But now mm-hmm. he's been much more aggressive in those situations, so I think, I think it is on him, but I also think there are ways to get him the ball. I asked James Jones that just because I was curious how they want to go about the process of getting him to shoot threes because he's going to eventually but also how much do they want him to actually dribble from 18 to 20 feet out and try that stuff and experiment Mm -hmm. really in the last 30 games of the year Um, and I, I really liked what he said I really liked what he said that whole interview honestly I thought he was I thought he looked at everything in a way that had me encouraged about the players I asked about which was a All those defensive guys and then DeAndre and Devin. David, to take it to you, do you think there are better ways offensively for Igor to optimize his offense more around getting him the ball in that 10 to 15 foot range? I think there are,
2: but I I think I'm in the minority here and I I would even extend it out to probably next year. You know, everyone wants the Suns to take a, a massive leap next year by adding some talent and hopefully, you know, getting some more wins on the board and and maximizing everything. So, you know, with Aiton specifically with that, I actually think, you know, if the Suns want to win as many games as they can next year, you kinda want to simplify things with Aiton. You know, I've kind of got notes here that in the off season I'd really want him to just improve his cardio so he can play longer minutes. Mm -hmm. And then I would just have a lot of what we're seeing this year, I wouldn't be focused on him shooting threes. I wouldn't be focused on him facing up and, and trying to make moves you know I think if you add talent around them and you use his gravity as a, a dive man and as a roller that's actually how you'd probably make the biggest leap as a team next year but then you know there's obviously the point of is that developing Aiton the best that you can for his own personal development for the longer term future of the Sun so I guess you know Max what do you think on this like what's a second year leap look like for Aiton in terms of I guess, justifying the Suns taking him at number one. You know, can they afford to go the boring route where they, you know, use him and his current skills to maximize the team? Or should we really be focused... A hell of a lot more on developing you know what he has as a you know one or two option I suppose it's a
1: really interesting question and I'm going to cite something Igor said in a response to uh Kellan's question about finding eight touches yep uh, I love what he was what, the way Igor made the point that like you know there's a lot of different kind of touches right people are just obsessed with these post touches for Aiton yeah but that's, those are really not the best touches you can get and in suffering from the fact that the offense around him just doesn't get him the ball in the right areas right as the role manager mentioned mm-hmm. uh, Good space. I think we saw a little bit in the Rising Stars game, like when Aiton has good players around him who can you know actually pass the ball, and make plays. It's just so much more easy for him to get the ball in, in better areas. And I, so I think that that's the kind of the, the cop way out, the easy way out, is to say maybe our, our team can be better it'll be easy to develop Aiton. Uh, assuming the team's still really bad, I think the the step that I take is not necessarily having him shoot threes, but I do think I want to get him the ball. When he's in those face-up situations, he's gotten better about this, but you guys remember early in the year, I think the first Brooklyn game at home, not the one where he was good, but the one where they just completely ignored him when he got the ball at like 20 feet, just no one even close. Yeah. I think that can't be a thing next year to any extent. He needs to be attacking the basket. I don't care if he's committing turnovers. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, Watch Sharon Jackson Jr. You know, sometimes when he does that crap, it's, it's a problem, and he makes a turnover or whatever, but sometimes he has an awesome dunk that goes viral on Twitter. I just think he needs to develop that skill set a little bit more. It's it's what's going to make him valuable on offense—that eventual three-point shooting more than his touch uh, in the post. Although that's great, it's great he has it. So I think it's better, you know, to get started on that earlier. And I, I'm not sure I would delay it much longer.
0: He needs to control the game. I think is the main takeaway in his development the next two years because there are times where I'll tweet like they need to get eight in the ball in the next one to two minutes because it's been the first three minutes and he hasn't touched it yet, and the percentages of which it is either him on the offensive glass or him getting past the ball on a roll or whatever it is as opposed to him creating his own offense is pretty much skewed towards other guys setting him up right now. And when you can feed him the ball five times in the first six minutes and he can score on three of those and get going early on his own, I think that's when he really becomes this next-level player because that's where... I think the biggest stance I have in terms of the whole Luca argument, yes, I guess I'm going to bring him up now uh, with <laughs> with Aiton, is that people compare them and uh, people who try and be pro Aiton like right now in saying that Aiton is just as good right now or is just about there. You can't put Aiton in Dallas and have him run his own stuff for himself and create for himself. He's going to need someone else to do it, and that's the big difference. Mm-hmm. Of course, there are different types of players, and big men don't do that, obviously but that's the biggest difference is that Luka can run an NBA offense right now and do it really well, and Aiden still needs guys to set him up. He's always going to have to have guys set him up. I'm not saying that like rim runs and stuff don't count or offensive rebounds don't count, but he's going to need to get to a point where those percentages are not 50-50, but pretty close to the point where he's on that Carl Anthony Towns type of level where he can create most of his stuff on his own, and I think that's his evolution the next two to three years, and it comes a lot with... Developing those moves and and the offense, of course, around him too. We shouldn't skew too far away from that point of the conversation because it's it's just as important, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, I think both of you have, have nailed kind of my general feeling on this. Is you know the main talking points of the Suns are you know Aiton's play, Booker's play, and his health, and then you know Igor. I think there's a lot of people that are questioning whether Igor was the right hire, and I just think it's a catastrophic failure by management you know, to put the right players around these guys. You know, to draft Aiton as at number one, as you said, Callan, you know, who's gonna need people looking for him, he's gonna need people trying to set him up and, you know, not give him a point guard is, is just ridiculous. I went through, you know, Towns had Rubio, Anthony Davis had Vasquez, uh Blake had Baron Davis, even Odin when he was playing at the start, had Steve Blake and, and Barnani, uh who didn't start, had Jose Calderon in the second unit with him. They're not big names. And I wanted to kind of make the point of that is we're not talking about having to have like an amazing all-star point guard next to Aiton, but you need guys that can be a floor general and look for the big guy because, you know, we see it time and time again, every game where Aiton gets missed in open situations. And I think something you've touched on quite a bit, Callan is, you know, the overall shooting of the team as well. I think this is probably a criticism on Igor of being maybe a little bit stuck in his ways, but the outside shooting has been terrible so far this year, and you know, I think we'd be talking about Aiton's effect on the game a hell of a lot more if the shooters were hitting their shots, because you know we'd either have more open shots or uh, an Aiton would be getting doubled down low, or we'd have a lot more open stuff for Aiton down low because uh, people have to stay with the shooters and just the the cohesion and the continuity with this team is ridiculous. I think, you know, after the All-Star break when TJ's back, we'll probably have our 21st starting lineup for the Suns, and, you know, that's kind of it in a nutshell, is no one's really been able to get settled this year.
1: You know what it reeks of, and I don't know if you guys have a comment on this or not, this is a bit of a tangent, but it just reeks of a team that for the past five years hasn't had one cohesive plan, because I think... You know the characterization I'm kind of getting out of what happened in that front office, and Kellen, you might know better than I do as someone who covered the team closely, but it just seemed like it was a constant struggle between McDonough and Sarver over like every decision. And I, I think you can see that in the fact they just they didn't you know they didn't pursue one plan that made sense the whole way through. I think the draft's a good example. Yeah, we got that story that came out that they wanted to get SGA after getting Aiton, and it kind of feels like uh, Sarver proved that because I think the Aiton was more of a McD thing. And I think that they just they don't they don't come into a draft and say, All right, here's what we're gonna do, here's our plan. They go into a draft and like they just have different guys making different decisions all over the place and at the end of the day it's just a bunch of stuff that doesn't make sense together. Yeah, it's
0: <laughs> we, I, I'm gonna just say they're a mess and we shouldn't spend any more time talking about how much of a mess they are than they should. <laughs> all
1: right, let's move on then uh, to Devin Booker because I agree with you, Kellen, that James Jones was awesome in that interview. Just fantastic. And I thought his best answer was his answer to your question. About what Devin Booker needs to do to, uh, you know, become a winner, take the next step. Uh, he had sort of a two-part answer, and I, I loved both parts. So we'll start with the first part, and this is something that I've that I've been on, so that's why I liked him so much. Uh, his physically is the biggest problem here. Uh, I remember there was an NBA scout on uh, Ryan Rosillo's show earlier that, that said uh, that Booker's fat this season. Uh, I don't know if he's fat. I don't know if he's fat or not, but I think it's pretty obvious that his conditioning is not where it needs to be. And I hear a lot of people on Twitter talk about how he's injury prone. I don't think he's inherently injury prone, or at least I don't think we have a reason to believe that. But I definitely think he's injury prone right now this season because his conditioning's not there. Uh, what do you think about that, Colin? Do you agree with that? And uh, what are your thoughts generally on what Jones said about that?
0: Okay, we've all watched him play his entire NBA career so far, right? Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I'm not trying to bring this up on purpose to make jokes or anything, but right around the point where all of that off-the-court stuff started coming up with him, he looked different on the court. He either looked like he wasn't sleeping or it was just like his face looked different. Did any, Mm -hmm. did you guys kind of notice that? Was that just me being, uh, he looked, he just looked different. And I don't know, I don't know what it was. I think it was lack of sleep. It looked like he just wasn't sleeping, but I, I think that there are steps to be made there. And I think going through all of these injuries is part of the problem because I think there's, maybe he was optimized to like 90% of what he needed to be heading into the season. And he just wasn't able to make up that 10% because when he was getting about to 90%, he would get injured again and go back down to 40%. And then he was Mm -hmm. working, working, working to get back. Uh, But man, isn't it so unfair that that burst that we saw in the first Dallas game and like the first three games that we've never seen from him before, where he was so much faster attacking the basket, we've only seen it like five or six games total. It just feels like it's been stolen from us because that was a major part of his game that he added to. And I think either that first or second game I tweeted out, like, that was faster, right? Like, he's moving faster. And this goes back mm-hmm. to what I was saying earlier. And, like, we've all watched this guy play so many times that we know how fast he moves. And it's it's the LeBron thing where, like, Miami LeBron, you know how he would have that first quarter where he would dominate the first three minutes and you're like, oh, we're getting this LeBron tonight. Mm-hmm. Like, this yep. is sweet. <laughs> it, there, you can do that same thing with guys that you see play every night. And with him, it was... It was seeing that burst in him, and I just think it's really unfair that we, that he's had all these injuries because I think there was even another step that he could have taken this year to be even better that would have been to the point that I wrote about where, and this is very dumb in hindsight, but a lot of things happen at the same time where I said like Vegas having the over-under at 28.5, I was like, do they realize like how good Devin Booker is at his age? Like, his, He might be too good for the Suns to be that bad, and I thought that he could have reached that level, but physically it just hasn't allowed him to do that so far.
2: Yeah, again, nail on the head there from Callan Max. I think every time we've yeah seen him get close to 100% and another injury comes up. You know, he's missed 15 games this season. Uh, there was the hand in the preseason, which obviously wouldn't affect his uh, burst. And as Callan said, the first three or four games there, we, we really were seeing something different from Devin Booker. But then you get, you know, three games with a hamstring, then that random game with the toe, then another six with the hamstring, then the back. Which is essentially the hamstring as well. I'm treating that all one in the same, and then uh, two games last was what he missed with the hamstring as well. So we just haven't seen him fit. And you know, I anyone listening and what Callan kind of just touched on there, you know, think about how robbed we feel of in terms of looking back on that first few games from Devon and and what he looked like from an explosion standpoint, and just imagine how Igor feels. You know, I I know that I'm a, a defender of him, but he would have spent his entire off season in camp you know trying to build an offense around Devin Booker because he was the number 1 player on the team and you know you can argue that he then needs to Uh, you know, move away from that and get the best out of the team when Booker's injured. But, you know, when the team lacks talent from, you know, 1 through to 15, it's, you know, it's kind of hard when you lose your best player and everything would have been built around him and Aiton in the preseason. And he couldn't even do the preseason or camp either. So I think Igor has kind of started behind the eight ball from the start here. And uh, Devon's inconsistency with his health has probably been the number one reason why the Suns sit, where they are right now. I'm not arguing that they'd be a 35-win team or anything like that, but I I do feel like we would at least feel a lot more positive about the team and, you know, if they can get a little bit of continuity after the All-Star break, I I do think we can at least end the season with a little bit of positivity.
1: Yeah, and I'm going to take a rosy-eyed glasses view of this also. I think this is going to be a nice learning experience for Devin. Yeah. This this season in general, just kind of the way his health went. I think uh, listeners are unfamiliar with how Curry started his career. He started; he just couldn't stay in the court. He was constantly getting hurt, and it seemed like that was just going to be the way it was forever. And then, you, if you read about how he got out of that, it was by basically by deadlifting and doing squats, and just becoming strong as hell. Yeah, uh, and I think that's what Devin Booker's got to do, he needs just to become much, much, much stronger. You can just tell he's not that strong out there. He gets bullied by people a lot. And I think that's what's gonna and that'll even lead to increases everywhere else. Like three point shooting. We all know Devin Booker's a good three point shooter, so why isn't he shooting well? I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he's constantly hurt and also he's just not strong enough to maintain his form like you know throughout the entire game when he's also running the offense. Strength is gonna go so far for him. Core strength, all kinds of strength. I I wanna see him get stronger this offseason. That's gonna be kind of my measuring stick for whether Devin Booker's learned from this season or not. It's whether or not he comes into the next season looking like, you know, like he actually took the offseason weight training program seriously. I want to yeah. bring
0: one thing up because we, we hit on Booker and Aiton and I want to see where you guys are at in terms of the panic meter. The thing that I wrote in that column about how much the Suns suck and how much this is going to continue to suck probably is that in Booker's sixth year. So this is the start of 2021 and then Aiton's third year. That's when yep. I think we can really expect this to resolve itself no matter what. Like those two guys should just be so good that if you just put decent pieces around them, it's going to be fine. Do you guys, if you guys had to bet right now, like gun to your head, is Booker a member of the Suns at the start of that season? So that's not the start of next season, but the start of the season after that. Do you still think he's on the Suns?
2: Max, you jump in first. Sure. Uh, yes, I
1: think, and I think I said this in a previous podcast. I think that's the season though. Like, I I think we get one more season of, you know, horribleness from Booker because, you know, he'll still be young and it will be the first year of his extension. But I think it's that second year. If they're not better by then, if they're still struggling to reach 30 wins, I think that's where we get the Booker asking out by the trade deadline report.
2: Yeah, I've used the Davis example. They're not the same player by any means, but you know, I'm kinda of using that as our gauge for when to panic on Devin Booker, even though maybe what the Suns have done to date is uh, even worse than what New Orleans put Davis through. But I think you look at you look back on all of this stuff in the revision mirror if you can get stuff right eventually and none of it necessarily matters in the longer term. So I'm probably quite low on the scale of the panic meter to answer your question, Callan. I think, you know, with Ayton Bridges And Booker, I'm quite high that you can put enough pieces around those guys and start to turn this thing around. And I think, you know, to touch on the back of what both of you were saying about Jones earlier and how impressive he can be in his questions, I think, you know, we almost need to put some things in the revision mirror. I think Jones is going to be the GM long term and I think whilst there doesn't appear to have been a plan and as Max said you know maybe a little bit of fighting between Mick D and Sava long term I think there is starting to be a plan there with this Suns team it's really hard to see that with all the mess that's been going on around it but I think you know between Jones and Igor and, and a lot of their answers being on the same page I do think that they have a vision for this team whether they can actually execute it or not I'm not too sure but to kind of round the Booker stuff out max you know you and i have talked a lot about ideal point guard fits with with devon i'm kind of interested in Callan's thought here because you know seeing patrick beverly absolutely hound him the other night to the point of you know basically just giving up it just really solidified for me the type of point guard you want next to devon booker but w- what do you kind of prioritize there callen
0: man hot take by the way on what we just talked about i think he's gone i don't think he's going to be there anymore wow Yeah. I, I don't know. I, the off season is going to dictate that a lot. I'll change my mind if they, Relatively do well this off season, but they have given me absolutely zero faith they are capable of anything.
2: That's that's fair. That's
1: so. Fair. Let me pin that down. So you, you think that if they're bad to start next season, he's he's basically out either demanding at that trade line or the next off season.
0: I think he at least starts to get irritated behind the scenes, and the Suns say, "Screw this! We have DeAndre Ayton. He's the next to came We don't need you anymore. If you want to sit over there and be negative and try and not change the culture with us, you're gone." Hmm. That's that's what I think will happen. I mean, I'm that's sure. that's a very very bold prediction that's not going to come true probably but that's just where <laughs> I'm at right now in just I love politics. and just trying not to get depressed while watching the Suns and failing to do so in the process the point guard I am prior so let's say you have someone who is one of the top 12 to 15 point guards in the league but he is a let's just use Kemba Walker as an example mm-hmm. let's mm-hmm. say it's Kemba Walker and he's a ball dominant point guard and more of a scorer Yep. I would rather have that guy than someone who I'm not sure is good. Does does that mm-hmm. make sense? I oh, would absolutely. rather have Kemba Walker than Terry Rozier. I would rather have him than D'Angelo Russell. I would rather have a guy like Drew Holiday or Mike Conley that I know for... And like that's with the age, that's with the injuries, whatever. I would rather have that guy for sure than someone who you are going to pay or trade and give up significant assets for who you're not... The Brandon Knight thing, basically. Like, we... I was fairly sure that Brandon Knight was good, but if you had to look at, like, ask me, I would have said, like, I'm 80% sure. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm 80% sure he's pretty good. But yep. I wasn't 100. I think that's kind of where D'Angelo Russell's at too. Um, to compare him to Brandon Knight, I guess. <laughs> 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 uh, I, so that's that's kind of my answer. I don't really care about defense. I don't really care about shooting. I, all that stuff is fine, I guess, if you can find it next to him and someone who doesn't need the ball in their hands all the time. But I just think they need this point guard to be the best player when they get here and be better than Devin Booker is right now, if they can find that. And if not, is he right around Devin Booker's range? I hope so. Yeah,
1: I totally agree with that, David. And I, wanna, I wanted to get your thoughts, David, on, on James Jones' comments. On the, the second thing, when he was asked about Devin Booker, which I think ties in very nicely with what Kellen just said. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said that, you know, and I had never thought of this before. I thought this was really smart. Devin Booker's a, a really, really good scorer, obviously. He's a great scorer. He's also a good playmaker. Separately, like he's a you know pretty good passer, pretty good vision. He makes you know some unforced errors sometimes, but he's pretty good at that. What he isn't good at really at all yet is balancing like those two things and picking his spots and knowing when to score and when to playmake. Yeah. And I think having a, a guard next to him who, as Kellen said, is one hundred percent good and already good at that, like has learned how to do that, would go a long way towards. Devin Booker learning how to do that himself.
2: Firstly, before I forget, I'm just going to say that the Brandon Knight-D'Angelo Russell comparison isn't actually that far off because, Mm -mm. you know, Brandon Knight, he was, you know, arguably an all-star that year. And D'Angelo's fallen into the replacement, so you know you're not you're not too far off with that current comparison, Callum. But uh, to throw back to to Max's question, yeah, I what Callum said, Max kind of nails this situation again on the head. Is his bold take of Devon wanting out if things don't go well in the next, you know six to 12 months versus the kind of guy that you want to put with him. I think you're at a point where you've got to stop thinking long term, like too long term and and ideal perfect scenarios. And you've just got to pull the trigger on something and Mm. they can't afford to bring, a guy like Rosier in and have it not work so whether if it takes more assets it takes more money to get a surefire guy in then I think you have to do that because yeah whether I think this is probably the main criticism of McD over his whole tenure he's always waiting for that perfect scenario that never actually comes or that uh, you know is going to cost too much when it does arise and the player doesn't want to even come to Phoenix so yeah I think they've got to bite the bullet they've got a few avenues to do that whether that's with cap space or with some trades, with some assets that they're likely to have. And yeah, I think, yeah, we've got to bring someone in. I'm still on Team Rubio from that respect because I think he ticks the most boxes in being able to do something like that. But if an opportunity comes to add, you know, Drew Holiday, Mike Conley, I think Callen's point is perfect. You've got to get a guy in that you know is NBA quality, you know, starting caliber point guard. And, And those guys definitely tick that box, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, that was my Mike Conley argument, right? Was that, you know, at this point you're just trying to salvage Booker and Aiton. And I know he's old or whatever, but you know, if you get him in there and it helps their development and then, you know, when his contract expires in 3 years, then you do you kind of your second building around Booker and Aiton and they, you know, they progress a lot because they had him around. That's a success, a success right? You've you traded assets for that. So, Yeah, you got
2: to you got to build around them now to help their own development and then as I said, if you, you know, the team appears to be high on the core of Aiton Booker and Bridges and then you know maybe they take you the next next leap by themselves and you're just putting pieces around them but Short term, and to uh, make Devin Booker happy, they've got to bring you know more NBA talent in because you know it's put up or shut up time. I think, as Kellen rightly said.
1: Yeah, before we get to Did you know? I just want to uh, say, Kellen, very on brand there to the Booker thing for it and suffer really exasperating <laughs> person. I was just thinking that as David was talking, I was like, oh
0: man, Mister Negative here once again just taking the crown for that. And to be clear, I'm talking the start of that season, so we've got. All of next season, so like up until the trade deadline, if he's not out, he could still get traded that next offseason. So I'm talking that would be 20 months from now, I think I would say. So like 20-month timeline is what I'm putting it on, yeah.
1: And think about it, man. Like we're all just sick and tired of this crap. It's hard to watch these games. Imagine living this for four straight years and living it again another year next year. It kind of starts to, I see the feeling you're going to be going. Yeah. All right, David, let's go to did you know before we move on to the free agency and draft stuff.
2: Alright, Max, just going to go with a quick hitter here today, seeing as though we've got Kellen on the show. So, with DeAndre Ayton playing in the Rising Stars challenge the other day, the commentators mentioned it was going for 25 years. So, did you know the Phoenix Suns have had 11 participants in the Rising Stars game during that time? I want to see how many of those the two of you can name between yourselves.
0: Oh my god, I just, we had one of our, one of our interns did an awesome job and typed up the entire history of the Suns at All-Star Weekend, and I edited it, so I should know every single answer, but <laughs> this is, this is what it's like to have my job, is that you just forget those things after a day. Okay, for just, some reason, I'm many, remembering. How
1: many years
0: was it? It was 25.
1: 25.
0: Okay. I'm remembering Michael Finley from that, again, like, my brain, it d- decides to remember Michael Finley in that game. So That's one. Amari should, was go back
1: and forth. It. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to throw in Markeith Morris because I have a picture of him in my head.
2: Markeith is two and Amari is three. Markeith Chris? He is four. Let's
0: see who else they have. Does Bogdan count?
2: (laughs) Bogdan does not count. Oh, man. You're you're missing another, you know, big seven seconds or less guy. Marion? Joe Johnson? yep, Yep. Sean was five. Joe was actually an interesting one. He played and then was traded about... Ten days later to the sun, so he doesn't quite count. W-
0: was that his second year in the league he got traded, or mm. the first? It was
2: the first. Yeah, so he could have wow. made it
0: his second game. That's what that's what I was. Or second year. That's what I was banking on. Mm. Oh, 25 years. Twenty
2: five years. Uh, Nash is in there, so that's six. I think. Uh, you also haven't mentioned a guy that we've talked about a lot on this pod, or two guys we've talked. Oh, Booker. Booker. Yeah, Booker, Booker is seven. <laughs> and DeAndre, I guess, we mentioned him. And DeAndre is eight. <laughs> Which takes- <laughs> that leaves three. There's two in 95 that I don't expect either of you to get unless Kellen remembers them now. And there's one hilarious one from 2014 who I think was an injury replacement. 2014? Oh, that's that's a good hint. And Lopez? Uh, no, but he is a center and a brother. Plumley? Yes, Miles plumly. Oh, Jesus. Oh, oh Jesus. yeah.
1: Plumlee.
0: Wow. 90, Uh, so you
2: said 95, like I
0: was going to throw like Sokolidis and Chebacca out there. No, it was
2: Wesley Person and Trevor Ruffin in 95. That brings us to 11. Wow, true rising stars right there. (laughs) (laughs) Now with Aiton becoming just the 11th son to feature, he posted 15 points, 8 rebounds and 5 assists as the world team went down 144 to 161 to Team USA. That likely ranks only sixth in terms of Sun's best performances in the game. Uh, Marion had a game of 18, Amari had a game of 18 as a rookie, plus Booker went 23 and 17 in consecutive years, which leaves one last performance. Amari Stodermayer, as a sophomore, showed up LeBron James and won the MVP of the game with 36 and 11. And the reason I bring up Amari is because, as I mentioned earlier in the show, Kellen is rejoining us for the second time on 7 Seconds or Less. And first time around, we played a little over-under with Amari's rookie season.
0: I was wondering about this. Yes, go Uh, on. Yeah, well,
2: his rookie season versus what we expected from DA. Max and Kellen, you both went the over on field goal percentage, points per game and rebounds, which are all looking very comfortable with Ayton at 58%, 16.5 points and 10.5 rebounds compared to Amari's 47, 13.5 and 8.8. You also went the over on blocks per game, But very tentative, that answer, I would say both of you were. But right now, Aiton is trailing Amari with just 0.9 of a block to Amari's 1.1. The only choice you went different ways on was assists. Amari was averaging flat one assist per game in his first season can either of you remember which way you went i really can't
0: (laughs) i think i remember that whole time being like i'm going over but it's like i not by a lot so like to not get i don't want to give us too much credit on points and rebounds because if you would have ticked that up like one more on each side i think we would have maybe went under. Yeah, I
2: remember I was thinking that they were all really good numbers. Yeah. It's all been pretty close so far, but Kellen, you actually convinced yourself to go the slight under while Max went the slight over. (laughs) Uh, Aiton currently averages two flat assists per game, so Max, you are currently leading the race on that I'm not taking
1: a victory there, though, because as you said, I think we both were like, it's going to be like one.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Finally, you both went the hard under on Amari's 5.9 free throw attempts per game, and you look very safe there as Aiton is only averaging averaging 2.6 in his first 53 games. That's, not good. That's not good. In fact, Aiden would need to get to the line 15.1 times a night for the final 23 games <laughs> to put Amari's average in any danger. So I think you're both safe there. Let's throw a new quiz in there for both of you, though. Amari ended his rookie season as the Rookie of the Year, first team All-Rookie, and with a season high of 38 points. I think the three of us would agree Aiton won't be able to catch the Rookie of the Year bar set by Amari, even if his stats are largely better than Amari's was in his first season. He should get first team, though, but as of right now, his high is 33. Can either of you put it on the line and say that he'll get to Amari's 38 in one of his final 23 games? I'm looking
1: at you, Kong, because I'm not going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man...
2: Oh,
0: it it depends on how much the other guys care around him, right? Because you need to set <laughs> yes. him up And I
2: could see an Alex Peters-type game where they're just you know throwing him the ball constantly on one of the last games of the year maybe to challenge it. But other than that, I think Max might be safe on that one. But what all that tells me, guys, is that Ayton has performed about just as we expected in the preseason, perhaps scoring just a little more than we all anticipated. But for now, Max, I think we should move on to what... Help we can get him going forward and make a life a little bit easier on the big fella. Let's do it. Thanks for that, David. That was fun.
1: We're going to do one more James Jones thing here, and then we're going to move on. Because he mentioned free agency. Uh, this is probably what this probably was the thing that went the most viral, right? Uh, this response, when he said that their plan is to add... Well, I don't know if he said there's a plan to add, but he would like to add four to five NBA There players. is no plan. Between, (laughs) well, the plan's to uh, add a bunch of great players, Kellen, that's the plan. With their $15 million of
0: cap space.
1: (laughs) So I was going to ask you, now that you've already ridiculed it, uh, what's the most realistic way this could kind of be somewhat true, Kellen?
0: (laughs) That's my answer, that laugh. I have no idea. You could re-sign Oubre for like eleven million somehow, twelve million. It's one of those long drawn out RFA things. You get Rashawn Holmes back because no one watched Phoenix Suns basketball, and you get him at a decent seven or eight. Mm-hmm. And then you package TJ, Josh, and a couple of picks for a point guard that is relatively like ten to eleven million somewhere in there, and then a decent like Dylan Brooks esque acquisition that's making like four or five million. So that would technically be four players that they add.
1: Real quick, David, I'm going to let you jump in on this one, but I want to ask you something, uh, Kellen. Uh, I, I, I had a weird kind of, like I don't know, premonition about something that might happen, and it's that when, when some of the big teams miss out on the, you know, the big, uh, big stars, like the KDs in the world, say, say it's Brooklyn, right? Say Brooklyn misses out on a lot of those guys, but you know, they're, they're precocious, they're good, they want to start winning. What are the chances the Suns just end up trading TJ Warren directly into cap space and getting like nothing for him?
0: Oh... I think there's a decent chance because anything stupid is up for grabs with them right now. <laughs> uh, see the the James Jones thing that he said to me, and then what he said on Burns and Gambo in a couple of days later, which was that we're gonna target five free agents and get three. Right. Mm-hmm. That really scared me because I actually like you said I really liked what he said and what he has said all season for the most part. It seems like they have they had a plan and they seem to understand what they want to do, which would make me think they would not do that for TJ. But... After what he said the past week, I have no idea what their plan is anymore, and nothing would shock me, so I'll say there's a decent chance, and the fact that I'm saying it's a decent chance, like, that's probably the highest anyone should go.
1: But yeah, well, the thought is, like, you can't do what James Jones is saying unless you just move out the money, right? That's the only way to do it. So yeah, just Jeff just Teague wants it.
0: 25, and we can only afford 15, so let's ship TJ out to sign Jeff Teague. Oh, God.
1: <laughs> David, any comments on uh, on all this?
2: <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm pretty focused on this comment from him at the moment, because, you know, as you both have alluded to with only 15 mil in space you know they're pretty high expectations for the summer with not a lot to work with so you know they can renounce Ubre and get you know nine million in space as you said I, I had down maybe they dump TJ the only thing there that I would mention is it's kind of hard timing wise because you know as you said it would require a team like Brooklyn to strike out in free agency whilst you're getting a commitment from someone in free agency, but then you've kind of got to wait for the teams to right. you know, be sitting around with nothing to spend their cap space on. So that one's hard timing-wise, I think. You could trade Tyler. Uh, that'll get you kind of 20 mil. You could still stretch Tyler and it would get you like 13 mil. I wouldn't recommend doing that. But again, as Kellen said, you know that would get you up to 28 mil in space and then maybe you can actually look at adding... Three free agents because right now it's just not possible. And, you know, maybe they could trade Josh as well, who earns kind of, you know, he's in that Bender scenario at the moment where he's, you know, going to make $7 million next year. So you'd want to be pretty sure that he can give you that kind of production on the court. But, you know, it's just left me with, you know, the feeling I've got zero doubt this team's going to make some trades. Uh, I've got absolutely no idea what they end up being. But you know, I guess my question to either of you, if it did come up, what what do you think it costs to dump someone like Tyler Johnson's contract? Is it a first because he's an expiring by then or are we gonna get absolutely uh held at gunpoint if we wanted to do something like that?
1: Kellen, you wanna go for that one? I I'll say I think I think real quick before I turn it to Cohen. I think you can watch what the Cavs have been doing all season. They're like the the new barometer for what it costs to dump contracts because they've done it like four times. Yep. So I think you just measure it based on that, right? And I don't have the exact numbers in my head. I have to go back and look at it. But I think yep. if I just had to take a stab at it, it's probably like a you know a bucks pick. Maybe does that get it done?
0: I don't think people. Eat, this is crazy. We were talking about this maybe twelve to eighteen months ago. Uh, we've been talking about it on Twitter and talking about it on podcasts. How many teams have space this summer? And I yep. still don't think people mm-hmm. understand that there are going to be what Max talked about a couple of minutes ago. There's going to be a team that strikes out and isn't in a place to really make moves or whatever. And the Suns are sitting there with Tyler Johnson in a first round pick and said, well, you guys kind have a first round pick for that cap space that you didn't wind up spending. I think there's going to be a, an opportunity out there. But it seems like the Suns are very protective of their draft picks still. And that worries me because I don't think they should be.
1: I want to make one more point on this too because this is sort of like the whole what would cause a frenzy this summer is that I don't know if you guys have looked at 2020 free agency yet, but it's absolutely terrible. Like it's an incredibly bad free agency class. Now, it could be better if there's some guys that sign in one year's contracts this summer. Yeah. It just kind of happened last summer. But man, it's bad. It's like Anthony Davis who probably won't even be a free agent by then. And then Draymond and then that's like it. It's really, really rough.
2: <laughs> yeah, just to round out Callan's point, there is like you know, if your choice is between taking a first and and Tyler Johnson versus you know the last big off season we saw, like you know signing a Mozgov type deal or something like that or Biombo, I think you know there will be teams that are willing to take someone like Tyler. So you know, as much as we joke that there's no plans around this team and it's really hard to see, you know, I think he is kind of leaving little clues. Uh, around it even though he's trying to be vague and secretive about things so I think you know the Suns do have plans at least to try and add to this roster around Booker and Aiton in the offseason I think in another interview Jones mentioned that you know 25 to 30 bracket in age as well which you know I won't rattle off names but if anyone listening wants to go and have a look at the free agency class that's a, another way that you can minimize the point guard and power forward search down Is is look in between that age bracket and there's some interesting names there for sure okay
1: are you guys ready is it time to have the zion
2: conversation i'm ready to just sit sit back yeah i don't know what you're talking (laughs)
1: about just to begin this uh everybody kellen and i i don't remember the exact genesis of the thing was kellen i think it was like a rank prospects over the past decade sort of thing and i ranked zion i think number one on all of it and you just thought that was i don't know if you thought it was ridiculous but you very much disagreed with it so I'm, I'm going to read off some Zion Williamson stats for you real quick, and then I'm going to have you defend your take that he's not, like, the best prospect of the last decade, all right? Well, That's that's It's my podcast. Uh, that's what I do, go on. <laughs> <laughs> so he is currently second in points per game, points for 40, I should say, at 30.7 as, as a freshman. He is shooting 83% in transition. He is shooting 75% from two. That would be the best ever if it holds up. 71% true shooting. It's even better in conference play. A 42.3 PER, the only player over 40 ever. A 21.3 BPM, the only player over 20 ever. For Carison's sake, we got AD at 18.7. Cat, 17.3. Aiton, 10.9. So by any measure, Zion has maybe had the, you know, the greatest college basketball season of all time, particularly for a freshman Kellen, why do you hate Zion Williamson?
0: (laughs) Oh, why couldn't you talk for five more seconds? I was going to have like a prop with a phone ringing. Uh, (laughs) Hello, this is the Dallas Mavericks on the line. We're offering you Luka Doncic for the number one overall pick. What do you say?
2: Uh, No,
1: thank you. But you say no, thank you. Whoa. (laughs) Why? Thank you. In fact, there was a a Twitter poll on this. I thought it was great. It was Giannis, Zion, Luka. Who are you taking going forward, basically? and I I think it's Giannis because Giannis is already an MVP. You just got to take Giannis. He's still 24. But I think, for me, it's Zion over Luka. Even though Luka has obviously been amazing in the NBA, and the argument is that we've already seen it in the NBA. But in terms of prospects, like, Zion, I think, is a far superior prospect. Like, far superior. Wow, I,
0: I disagree because I – and I know the counter arguments to this, and that's what's so frustrating about having this conversation and the fact that you still haven't watched Friday Night Lights yet really <laughs> pisses me off. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> the thing about Luka is that he is so – astronomically skilled in my opinion with just everything with a basketball compared to Zion and this is this is the mixtape argument that I'm making which I don't like where it's heading but with Zion I see him get stuffed in half court trying to create for himself just a little too much and I think that his skill is starting to get a tad overrated I think that his ball handling is Fantastic for the type of player that he is And the type of athlete that he is I think that his decision making And passing is good I think it's pretty good But I believe that his overall Talent with the basketball in his hands Is not really As great as people are making it out To be And he can't shoot I know the numbers have been more encouraging Than we thought but he still can't shoot And the way that he shoots Is in a way where he's going to be able to shoot like that for the rest of his career because guys are going to be terrified to close out on him and have him run by them, but I think that his o that's the only way where I disagree, and I know the direct counter argument to this is that with the type of person that he appears to be and the type of competitor that he appears to be, the promise that he is already showing as a ball handler is going to continue to develop, and he's going to continue to get better. But there are points where I try and watch him be R.J. Barrett for two or three minutes, and I'm not saying that R.J. I, I guess I am saying that like R.J. Barrett is more talented than him as a ball handler at this moment. Is that a hot take? No. Is that
1: too hot? A pure ball handler.
0: Yeah. So so that's that's exactly what I'm trying to say, and I'm saying that having that guy, I think he is far and away. I wrote my new big board is up on ArizonaSports.com. I wrote that I'm not even including a tier two anymore. I'm just breaking the rules of tiers because no one deserves to be within a tier of Zion. <laughs> it's like the dunk contest when a 50 is the 50 that Hamadou Diallo got is the same 50 that a couple of other guys got that night. And it's like, that's not how it should work. Cause Hamadou Diallo's yeah, yeah, right. like having him in that same discussion with anyone else in this draft is just absurd. Yep. But you're comparing him to Anthony Davis, Kyrie Irving, John Wall, Luka Doncic, Ben Simmons, all these guys. I think there's, I think the more interesting discussion is actually comparing him to Ben Simmons. Than it is to, to some of those other guys like Anthony Davis and Luka Doncic. Because I think when I, when I replied back to you, however many mo- more months ago that was, I had Luka ahead of him. I had Anthony Davis ahead of him. And then I think that's where I said, like, that's where I would start to talk about it. Now, give me your retort with all of his defensive upside and the fact that he could probably win Defensive Player of the Year and MVP in the same season. Go!
1: <laughs> I'm going to give you a retort, and then I'll let David, we'll let you talk after that. One retort. For, number one thing I'm going I'm to bring up is NBA space. I think that no doubt he gets a little bit, you know, trapped sometimes, whatever. I mean, he's still, I think he has the highest two-point percentage ever. and he's like, Especially for a guy who is over 50% of his shots to the rim un- are non-assisted. Uh, I mean, he still gets to the rim pretty pretty easily, even in the bad space. But, you know, once you open up the NBA space, I, I think it's just going to be a whole other wrecking ball. Yes. From Zion uh, and, and in terms of the, so I want to directly compare him to Lucas. I think that's a really interesting comparison. I think Luka Doncic, I mean, he's dispelled it now, but he had a greater question mark than Zion has, and that was sort of the, his athleticism isn't fair question mark. Is he ever going to be, you know, enough to be a star, enough juice to be a star? And obviously he's made that look silly now, but I don't think that Zion has anything like that. I, don't, I, I see your argument for why he might not be the best player in the league. Like if he never becomes a thirty-five percent three-point shooter, maybe he's not. Although Giannis Antetokounmpo is pretty freaking good, and he can't shoot. <laughs> uh, and and I know it's crazy to compare people to Giannis usually, but that's I think where I end it. Yeah. But but Zion is the one kind of guy you could do that with. I think he's that much of a. Freak. But I don't I
0: think, think you can, he have... can. That's the thing. I just I just think Giannis is such otherworldly, and he's a couple inches taller, and there's just another. Hey, enough...
1: Did you watch Zion block a three-point shot when he started in the restricted circle? <laughs> yes <laughs> his wingspan isn't that great i'm gonna say it his wingspan isn't nothing. that great he, i just he said it 50 inches in the air kellen <laughs> it doesn't i matter. need
0: to get an official recording on his vertical it's insane that closeout block on virginia was the most amazing basketball play i've seen it's, in decades. decade it's
1: unreal and so and so i'm gonna i'm gonna give you i'm gonna grant you the ball handling thing i i to a certain extent i think nba space will help that but I, here's my retort to that also is like it's not like he's bad at any of this stuff like you say, he's bad at shooting. Sure, he's not great, but he's shooting thirty percent, and he's not not shooting. Like he's taking a certain amount. I think he made. He's already made more threes than like you put like AD Blaker for all those guys combined in college and a couple other guys. Like, he's like he's making threes. Not the best clip ever, but I think he has that in his game as a potential. And I think the biggest argument for him over guys like even Anthony Davis, people forget this. Anthony Davis on offense was not like a surefire thing. On defense, he was. On offense, he wasn't. In college, he just he didn't really have like a he have a jump shot like he has now. People questioned it. I think Zion has the fewest questions of any product I've ever seen in my life. The only thing is health. If he gets hurt, maybe it's a problem. But otherwise, I cannot see that guy not being at least a star. I just can't. It's impossible to me. Yeah. David and Kellen, you guys can both talk.
0: (laughs) Yeah, David, 20 seconds. I'll say that, and this is going to sound like a plug because it is, ArizonaSports.com, my big board. (laughs) I have the YouTube video in there of the Notre Dame game, and that was the game where he did all of the NBA things. He did all of them. He protected the rim. He was on the offensive glass he was providing off the dribble he was shooting off the dribble he was hitting threes and it was everything that I want to see out of him and I just haven't seen that exact mold in enough games that I've watched because if the Notre Dame Zion is the one that I was seeing 50 to 60% of the games I watched him I would do that but it's just it's he's dominating in the way that he should be dominating, but there's just another level, which is where you're at, Max, which I'm not at yet, but we saw it in at least a game. So maybe I'm wrong. I'm proving myself wrong already by saying that because we've already seen it at his age. David, where do you where do you stand on him being ranked to, like, the best prospects of this decade, I guess, to make it easier.
2: Uh, I mean, I get both of your points here. You know, I've said quite a number of times, Is I think both of you have watched uh, Zion and draft stuff a-, a lot more extensively than I have. I generally get into it around about this time of the year, which I'm kind of being forced into with the way that the Suns are playing. But mm. he's 29.8% from three on-, on two attempts per game, so not terrible. The one for me is, like, you would expect a guy like Zion to live at the free throw line in the NBA if he's kind of living up to his potential. And he's kind of you know 6.4 attempts just in college and only shooting 67.3%. I'd love for that to get to at least LeBron-type levels around 75%, given he's just going to get hacked going to the rim all the time if he lives up to the hype. And I really like LeBron's comments on Zion over All-Star Week because I think in terms of being a a freak athlete, I think LeBron is his kind of closest comparison and you know we've seen a lot of freak athletes enter the nba and and leave very quickly because they don't have basketball IQ like the likes of LeBron and LeBron really touched on his kind of feel and intangibles for the game and Callan you mentioned mixtape stuff there I was really skeptical coming out of high school just on the the whole mixtape phenomenon that Zion was and I was really glad that we were going to get to see him play in college to see a lot of these things kind of play out and you know I've been impressed with what I've seen so far from that respect and I think that's why he does get up to being one of the best prospects of the last decade or so because you can't just be one of the best players in the NBA. Like, you know, I think LeBron still gets undersold. Everyone talks about him about being the best athlete of the last 25 years or since Jordan or whatever, but really what makes LeBron LeBron is his feel for the game and uh, his passing and and kind of overall IQ. And, you know, we're seeing flashes. I think, Callan, you make a good point. Uh, With how much he's dominated college, you'd kind of hope that there was a few more games that we could pull on where like that Notre Dame one, where he just does absolutely everything on the court. So that's kind of where I sit with him at the moment. I'm glad there isn't an Arizona product in the draft this year at the top, (laughs) particularly if the Suns get the number one pick, because I don't want to have that discussion all over again. Uh, But I'm going to throw it to you guys. You know, you've Kellen, you plugged your big board there. I know you've got someone in that tier three slotted in, but if you gun to your head right now, had to pick uh, the number two pick in the draft, if we all agree that Zion is likely to be number one, who would you throw to there?
0: Uh, two things first. I, you know how some guys make a trade or they coach someone and they get a job off of it, a.k.a. if you touched Patrick Mahomes or Sean McVay mm-hmm. in the NFL? <laughs> Mike <laughs> yeah, right. Gribbinoff from the Stepian should have an NBA job because of yes. the way that he was for months. And I mean months. He's he's the chief high school guy on NBA Twitter in terms of Sky and guys. And for months he was saying... All these people who are saying Zion is mixtape Zion, you have no idea what you're in for.
1: Yep. That was harder, too. Real quick, I want to cut it on that, Cohen. Did you watch any of Zion in high school or AAU at all? I did not watch high school. I can't do I, that. I I didn't watch high school. I watched – you remember when they had that stream uh, with, uh, with, with the ball? little LaMelo Ball versus Zion yep. on Facebook? Yep. I watched that game, and obviously Zion's physicality was impressive and stuff, but he couldn't like do anything. He had, he had mired in the mud and every single time he tried to do anything. And I think it's because like the spacing and everything's just so epped up in AAU. And I think that's part of why it's impressive that Mike was able to, to scout that, and also why you know the more the more space comes in, the, the, the greater I feel he's going to be good. But yeah, anyway, sorry, go on. Yeah,
0: but I was just saying that he even ESPN I remember had I think they had RJ one, yeah. Nasir two, and they had Zion three at the very start of the year. Yeah. and then we all yeah. saw the Kentucky game, and I within five minutes I was like, oh, he's the best prospect in this draft by a mile, and it it, it wasn't a flash in the pan this game, just seeing the way he would dribble and bounce and the way that he would jump cut like a running back, as Cole always says, is insane. Mm -hmm. The second point was David for like forty five seconds there had an epic moment he could have had where he could have said, you know, like I haven't really watched much of the draft as much as you guys. This is around the time I get into it and I've gotta say John Moran is the best prospect.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you really had a
0: moment there, and I really wanted to like cut in and do it for you, but
1: the noises that Cal and I would have made. <laughs> Speaking of wow. John ja Moran, I think
0: Shut... that he is not a top five prospect in this draft, and I would take RJ Barrett at two, even if I have Devin Booker, because best player available has to be the thing for the Suns. Max, return. I'm
2: I'm seeing just before you jump in, Max. I'm seeing so many conversations with Suns fans on Twitter at the moment talking about fit and, you know, putting stuff around what we currently have and things like th- of that nature. I- I'm just going to say draft strategy 101 – particularly this high in the draft can you please just take the best player available and stop thinking about how they're going to fit with what you currently have that is really bad bad draft strategy when it comes to picking guys at one two or three in the draft and shout out to the stepion because mike was in on zion as kellen said and jackson hoy was on ja morant not in a totally positive way but just in a scouting way way before anyone else was talking about him as well so i just wanted to Get that little plug in there for those guys doing very, very good work well before anyone else is looking at these prospects. Max, over to you.
1: Yeah, I feel bad for Jackson Hoy because he scattered he found Jabaret right when he was like a nothing. And it's like, this guy's actually like a lottery prospect. And now he's jumped into like, some people were saying he should never one over his iron. And Jackson's like, stop, stop hitting me with these people. <laughs> <laughs> it's,
0: it's so amazing. Oh, uh, one more thing. I actually was team fit. And there's a prospect – or no, I think all the locked-on sons I did were, are gone now. But I did, I did one with Cole where I was talking about Drogon Bender and Marquise Chris. Like, I'm not sure they can take this guy because they have Dragon and Marquise already. Like, one of the fours on the board or whatever. Mm-hmm. I was like, yes, fit, but, like, you have two fours you just drafted. And it, it doesn't matter. Just take the best guy. Yes. We have learned our lesson. I right. have
1: one fit concern. Uh, at all, and, and, and this is a, to me. It's I don't draft somebody who doesn't fit in the way I'm thinking, and it's not an on-court thing. It's it's a personality thing. This team can't draft any more guys who are not gonna like basically you know create themselves in the league. Yeah, if that makes any sense. They need guys who are self-driven because they haven't shown the organizational competence to develop players who need developing, uh, and that's why there are guys like Cam Reddish who I really really like. And I think he's going to be a good NBA player. But just, you know, what you hear about him is sort of his personality. He goes with the flow. He's sort of like lack of worth of that kind of guy. I'm just not interested in that. That's just not what the Suns need right now, particularly because they have Booker and Aiton on their team. They don't have time. I'm taking guys who are ready. I think ready almost right now or or can soon be ready. And that's why I'm with you, Kellen. John Morant, not a top five guy for me. Just, I think on another team he could be, and if you're if you're if you to trade Booker, then maybe you can be. But if you're if you plan to keep Booker around, then taking Job Morant is that's not that's how you get uh, Booker traded
0: in a season. I think I would highly consider DeAndre Hunter at two. I would really think. Yeah,
1: about that. that makes a lot of sense. That's the kind of guy you want, the guy you know is going to be good right away and help out. And that's why I like Jarrett Culver so much, Kyle, and I, I pointed out to you because I just think he'd be immediately coming in. He sort he just has that sort of like floor generalship attitude where he's good at basketball and he's not going to do stupid crap and he's going to. Even if he's not like a hugely positive contributor, he's going to be a somewhat positive contributor, kind of like Mikkel. You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: definitely. I have a I have a buddy who works who works for another NBA team, and he was he was telling me um, about a certain young player. I won't mention to give off any hints or anything, but there was a certain young player who was drafted in the top ten in the draft two, three years ago, and he could just not make a shot in practice. Even mm-hmm. they would practice, <laughs> and he just couldn't make anything. And we were talking about Dragan Bender and just saying it wasn't dragon better by the way or the phoenix suns but <laughs> we were talking about dragon and i was like dragon the people the thing people don't understand about dragon calling him a scrub is that like he has all the talent in the world to be a very 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 good nba player perhaps even mm-hmm. a great one it's all there mm-hmm. yeah. but he just yeah. has zero aggression zero he's so passive and his confidence is all over the place and the one thing the reason why Kyle Kuzma is always going to happen and the reason why just any guy drafted that late Josh Hart is another one. It, I think it's all about the mindset that these guys have entering the league. And that's what's so hard about the draft and why the Kyle Kuzmas are always gonna happen. Because if you have the right mindset coming out as a player and you are about this, I think is the best way to put it. Like am I sure are we sure Cam Reddish is about this? I think it is the right. best is the best way to put it. Like there's going to be another guy and there's always gonna be those guys. And there's gonna keep being flops in the top ten because I really do think it comes down to the player's mindset more than anything because they're so young. I think I think if you guys, if they did something crazy with the age gap and made it where it was 21 and up, I think we would see far, far, far more success in terms of yeah. Yeah. guys that didn't flop out, but they're so, so young. And and people see Luca eating five guys and being a goofball and playing Fortnite all the time that they wonder, oh man, does he have, turn, he does have the mindset plus a million, but he's also just a young goofball idiot kind of. And DeAndre is the same way. He's kind of just a knucklehead but he's, he has the competitive mindset and the professional mindset, and you have to figure out who those guys are and who they aren't, and that's why I think we see guys like TNT Melton, for example. Maybe teams just interviewed him, and they were like, oh, no wait, we know about the Kawhi Leonard thing. It's like, yes, you can make fun of the fact that he was sweating through his suit or whatever, but at the same time, they were worried because of that. They thought like, does this guy have it? And they it turns out he absolutely did, but they just couldn't
1: tell. Yeah. In, in some ways, Kawhi, I guess is, I mean, he's obviously they should have taken him. He's an MVP candidate, blah blah blah. But he has sort of, uh, you know, manifested some of the those issues in his career. Right. The whole San Antonio thing, the way he handled that, it was weird. Uh, and I think certain guys would be wired different. Like a Damian Lillard type would never do anything like that, you know? And I, and I think teams do look for that kind of stuff. And I think it's weird when people... So I, th- I get a general feeling where people think this stuff is kind of like, I don't know how you put it, like not as important as like athleticism or they just think it's harder to scout or whatever. But like it, it's it, it's not uniquely to sports, right? Like if you're trying to hire for any job, you're looking for guys who are motivated, guys and girls who are motivated, who are... It doesn't matter if they have a high IQ. You want people who are going to try hard who want to be there. And that, that's everything in life. I'm not sure why when we get to NBA, profit evaluation should be any different. Yeah, and, uh, I'm making the Zion
0: point for you too. Like that's Yeah,
1: that's a huge
2: part of him.
0: It's He's like top three, top five in the past 20 years in terms of that and probably the best in terms of what we see on the court and how he competes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
2: it, it's how guys like Devin Booker happen as well, just to throw a, a sun slant on there with all the mess that has gone on in the last four or five years. He's still been able to rise above it because of the type of guy he is. And you, you see a lot of people raise arguments about raising the age level and stuff I'm totally against that. You know, make good scouts earn their money and land on some of these guys, and and make the the lazy bad scouts pay for it. You know, that might actually go against the Suns on what we've seen, but you know, from a de- development standpoint as well, I think it's too small of a sample size with Igor and his team uh, compared to the last regime in terms of development. But Max, I think it's still a good overall point, and I'm going to be paying a hell of a lot more attention to kind of character and drive when I'm diving into you know this class than what i have in the past but you know i guess to round that one out i'm still team trade the pick If it's not number one, I think if they do draft anywhere two to six, then I'd expect a a real clear out of a lot of the other prospects on the team because we just can't add another development prospect on this team whilst also expecting to get, you know, exponentially better around Devin Booker to make him happy.
1: I have a question for you guys. Uh, We'll start with Kellen and go to David. Sort of on this whole character point and maybe that just mattering more and you just you kind of ignoring the athletic upside thing. Mm -hmm. How would you react, Kellen, and then David? If the Suns draft night and the number five overall pick the Suns have, Adam Silver walks up there and said the Suns drafted Trey Jones. How do you react?
0: Um, I would be flummoxed and very confused, but then we, it, my brain would come back to this conversation and be like, oh, okay, they, just, they think he's the point guard and they think he's the guy. Um, I would also say that this draft class really sucks, and if you just yeah. want to get your guy at five, whatever. Uh, yeah. You shouldn't get the guy at five that might be there at 25 or 35. But I would still, for the sake of value, that's a, you guys both follow Javier on Twitter. I I, I assume that uh, who's been around the Sepian stuff. Mm-hmm. He's like mm-hmm. always team value on everything. So that would just that he would his head would explode because he would be like, you just need to trade the pick. You just need to take Jared Culver and trade him. Like that's unacceptable. You could have traded down to twenty. You could just trade it for the twentieth pick and gotten Trey Jones. That's insane. But but for me that that would be my overall answer yeah
2: yeah I think uh, Kellen's in in the final part of his answer there has nailed it again for me is and I think you know we can't forget the Milwaukee pick. With scenarios like that. That's exactly why it, it may not convey or it may not be in the range for Jones, but there are other avenues to to trade out, kind of make other moves to get a guy like Jones. I wouldn't be against getting a guy like Jones if that's the guy that they feel like they should have. Again, I would clear out some of the prospects that are already on the roster if that's what you're gonna do. But uh, yeah, I think drafting him with the fifth pick would be incredibly stupid on what we know right now because, again, best player available. Either take someone that is the best player at that pick or trade the pick or trade out or up. Yeah, five,
1: five might have been a little aggressive. It's just hard to get the Suns much lower than five considering how bad they are. <laughs> but it, it was like 10. I think at 10... Especially because I could see Trey Jones rising in this class. Everyone knows it's a terrible class. I could see him just killing it in work out interviews and stuff. Yeah. And him just flying up the board. So I think it makes more sense there. But one last guy I want to talk about that we can move on to seven seconds or less. Have you guys watched much of Darius Garland? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are your thoughts?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: <laughs> uh, uh, he's, I mean, he's fine. It's whatever. Really, like, I like him. I think he's got some of those skills you're looking for. I mean, obviously, he's not you know young point guard is not really the direction that's he makes a lot of sense. But I think if they do go that way, I prefer Darius Garland to Jabba Rant in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, I see. I see it a little bit. Man, I just I I must have watched the wrong games. I'm gonna go back and watch them again before I update the board again. But I I made sure to watch a couple more uh, before I update this one. I was still in the same. I I don't know what it was that's the most confusing thing but I just didn't feel he was a top 10 guy when I watched him but I'm probably wrong on that and probably gonna have to go back and watch because there's a lot of people who cap for him uh, outside of UMAX. i think there's a lot of people who think that he's in the discussion with jaw as a top five top seven guy
2: yeah i think he is kind of the epitome of that that kind of character thing he seems to be a, a really good personality around his team max and you know the, a high character guy which might rise him up i think the last point that i would make on that as a whole is know with how weak this is perceived to be outside of the number one pick I think uh, we're going to see a lot of change in in people like Callan's big boards over you know from now until draft time probably because there's going to be a lot of moving parts the tournament will probably rise some guys or slide some guys down whether it's rightly or wrongly Mm -hmm. and probably individual workouts and interviews too you know when it's a little more messy and mucky in this kind of early lottery scenario I think that's a, a lot of the time where things get moved around a hell of a lot and you see rises, maybe like Darius Garland.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, though One defense I want to make of Garland for me is, I think you guys probably both know I'm obsessed with people who can shoot the basketball, uh, Landry Shamet, <laughs> Landry Shamet being the number one example of my obsession. and I, Darius Garland appears to me to be able to really, really shoot it off the table, you know, standstill, and that's I like that. That's important, especially for the Suns. They can't shoot the ball. I don't know if you guys noticed that or not. (laughs) All right, but let's go ahead and move on. So let's do seven seconds to the left, Kellen. I'm going to read the rules. You might remember it, but uh, I'll read them anyway. So seven seconds or less is the segment where one of us asks the other and the guest three questions, which the guests and the other have seven seconds or less to answer. I will ask all three of these questions, Kellen. We'll have you answer first, and we'll have David answer second, because uh, we want to put you on the hot seat, Kellen. We're mean here. Yay. All right. Question number one. Who is most? What's most likely to happen next season? Igor isn't the coach, James Jones isn't the GM, or TJ Warren isn't on the team? Ooh. Igor's not Ooh. the coach. Oh,
2: Kellen, you hurt me. You hurt me. <laughs> That's so easy for me. Oh, man. <laughs> I think Jones is easily going to be the GM. Uh, I'm going to stand for Igor. I think they're going to give him his full three years unless things go ridiculously bad. Uh, so I'll go TJ Warren, Max.
1: I think I'm with you, David. I think the Suns might be sick of their whole like firing the coach every season thing and just the reputation. They might just keep him on just for that reason. The
2: only thing I will add is if he loses Ayton and or Booker, then he's out. That's just always the yeah. easiest. Oh, yeah. I've said, <laughs> I've said that on Twitter. And
0: you said things going ridiculously bad. This season has gone ridiculously bad. We're already yeah, on true. that road.
2: Yeah. I'm still, I'm still holding uh, my rant in my back pocket for if and when that happens, because uh, <laughs> if it's because he lost Booker, then they need to look at themselves rather than Than Igor because he just hasn't, you know, he's been set up to fail. I'm excited for that. It's
0: for your own sanity as well. I think yes, you really, really need this, and you—it's—it's it's like Rich Anthony to a much, 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 much less extent and logical extent. <laughs> but you just—you really need Igor to stay put. You really need him here, and I understand that as someone who
1: has covered the team for four years.
2: It'll yeah. hurt me, Kellen, and that's why your answer hurt me. You, you just broke my
1: brain by saying it's like Rich to a logical extent. I, I'm trying to figure that out. <laughs> Let's move on. So, all right. So, this next one's going to be this next one's going to be a, uh, a kind of a multi-parter. Okay, I'm going to compare Zion to. Kirk Current Suns players, you're telling me if you'd rather have them or Zion, all right?
2: Kellen, would you rather have Zion Williamson or Devin Booker?
1: Zion. Would you rather have Zion or Aiton? Zion. All right, David, i go to you. Both questions.
2: Oh, man, you're making this so tough. You always do, Max. I'd still go Booker, and I would take Zion over Aiton.
1: All right, so I'll ask you first, Kellen. Would you rather have Zion or Booker and Mikel? Oh, shit. I curse uh, Booker and Mikel. <laughs> David, Zion and or, Zion or Aiden and Mikkel? Uh, I'd take Aiden and Mikkel. All right, so I'll be the hot taker. I would take Zion over all three of them. Whoa.
0: Yeah, I, I think that the way Booker has trended and the way the team is trending around him made it easier for me to say Zion over Booker. But Booker over Bridges, that's tough because I'm higher on Mikhail than a lot of people. So that that was the bend.
2: No, no pushback here. Uh, I love Mikhail. I know Max does too, but uh, his, his love for Zion seems to know no bounds right now. To
1: me, the aggregate value of all three of them, I guess, like theoretically is higher. But it's just like you in the NBA, it just matters so much to have the guy who matters. And Zion has the best chance of any of those guys by far to be the guy who matters. You know what I mean? All right. Final one. And this is totally off the wall, totally random, but I just find it fascinating. What do you guys think the next non-Warriors team will be to win the NBA title? Kellen. Oh, I'm first. Toronto Raptors? Ooh, that's a fun one. They win it this year, I guess? I don't
0: know. I I don't like that. I'm going to think about my real answer (laughs) while David thinks. Not the point, but yeah.
2: I would... I mean, anyone listening to this pod knows that I've been on the Raptors pretty much all season. Things aren't really shaping up for a non-Warriors win this season, I don't think Max. Pretty tough. I really wish the Raptors, you know, just made a deal for Anthony Davis or something like that.
1: I'm gonna jump in. I'll give you my answer. So you and you get away. because it's unfair. I gotta think about this for hours beforehand. Do it. Uh, <laughs> I think it's the Celtics. Just because I I buy they have the most kind of uh, avenues. I guess is how I'd put it. The eighty trade's a big possibility. They could do it another way. Just just more chances.
2: Yeah. Kellen, have you got something?
0: Yeah, Milwaukee. They, they have beyond. He's only 24. Yep. They have a top 10, top 5 head coach in the league around him, and they're starting to put pieces around him. They saw Nikola Mirotic as a rental available and said, yeah, four second-round picks, whatever.
2: Yep. Amazing. They're
0: clearly doing the Dallas thing to a certain extent. What if I said the Mavericks? just? Oh, you
1: should have said that, Kellen. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, I got two for you. My My boring answer is Toronto this year because things just fall their way and they capitalize on it. My extremely not boring answer is the L.A. Clippers next year.
1: Ooh, love it. Love it. Who is that? Who are the two guys that get that?
2: Kawhi and Anthony
1: Davis. And by the way, I, I think the math works out in this. I talked to you about this a little bit, David. I, I yep. think there's a shot if they trade for 80 around the draft and they they clear out their contracts doing it. They could get three of those guys. They could, they could have like 80 Kyrie... And uh and Kawhi or something like that. They they could do that. It's possible.
2: Are we all are we all in on Durant leaving the Warriors? Is anyone gonna say he's gonna stay? He's gone. He's going to New York. Yep, I think we agree on that. They had
1: him in the season ticket marketing package.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he already made up his mind. He's yeah. It, the players can never be honest about they've never thought about this stuff, but I think he's already made up his mind because I think I think actually to go deeper into his head, and I hate doing this stuff with, but I think. In order for him to fully focus on this season, I think he had to make the decision already or else it was going to just eat him away and affect his play. So I think he already made up his mind.
1: I think that's... I totally agree. Yeah. Vying into like kind of what he does on Twitter, this is total personality, how he's always like, he doesn't feel like he has the right recognition. He's had two finals, MVPs a piece in a row, and he just still can't get whatever he wants, it seems like. Going to New York just seems like the obvious way to go get that, you know?
0: Yeah, actually, uh, I wanted to... Talk about the Clippers thing for a second. So Danilo's on the books for next year, right?
1: He has to be in the trade, yeah. So
0: he has to be in the trade. Okay, so let's say they get those two guys. So it's Kawhi, Anthony Davis, they have Montrez, they have Lou Williams, they have Shea, they have That That's like their big six. Let's say the Warriors come back next year with with the, all the guys still. Do you pick the Clippers in that situation, just preseason?
2: Nah, my my theory is very much based on Durant leaving. And the Clippers probably still having assets to go and get another piece. It may not be a max free agent type guy, but I think they could if they did land those two big guys, they could, you know, maybe turn Lou Williams and something into, you know, something bigger for that team for next year.
1: Re- I, just, real quick, I just want to answer very seriously that I think twenty nineteen 20 season uh, MVP, Landry Shamit would obviously carry them over the
0: Warriors. (laughs) But I was about to talk about him seriously and say that for all the, you can have all these one to two guys that are awesome, but you need those extra four to five guys, not just as much because they're easier to get, but you still really need them. And they already have Shea, Lou, Montrez, and Shamit who Three out of four of those, I think Shea is... Um, Max, I'm going to break your heart. Three out of four of those, I think, are already certified good players and very good on some nights. I think Shaman's like, right there, and he's probably going to be there by the end of the year if he keeps playing like this for the Clippers. But, yeah, I think, like, he could be your
2: sixth or seventh man even. That's what that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> this is an argument that a lot of people have had about the Suns. Like, were the Clippers really not going to do that deal if Shaman wasn't included? Like, was that going to be a deal-breaker to the whole deal falling down. Like I think teams occasionally add in guys, you know, very valuable guys like Landry Shamit into a deal. Philly, you know, might find that they could really do with his, Uh, rookie contract and shooting off the bench around their team going forward and I think uh, Jerry West has uh, pulled another one over there it's
1: always good to be the team that has the leverage right and the Clippers had the leverage there because they didn't have to do that the Sixers kind of feel like they had to and even if they that's how you get overpays you know when you have when you have the leverage
0: yeah as Cole said if Jerome Robinson is actually good Jerry West is the best executive of all time (laughs) (laughs) it's like that that would be crazy yeah that really would
1: All right, I think that's it for us. Kellen, plug,
0: anything you want. Um, Kellen Olson on Twitter, at Empire of the Suns, is where you can find all of our stuff. We actually didn't podcast this week. We just had some uh, things come up where we couldn't figure out scheduling. But we've been podcasting every week for the entire season, except this week, so that doesn't hold up anymore, I guess. Crap. We're going to podcast twice next week to make up for it, though. Plenty of draft coverage stuff coming. I'll have the quote-unquote Zion piece coming Within the next month or two, I would guess, and we're going to start to ramp up draft coverage more. Didn't seem like a lot of people care about the draft with the polls that I was running the other night, which didn't really surprise me, but... I think everyone is team trade the pick right now. And it's kind of created a weird space, but uh, yeah, that's where
2: you
1: can find me. It's also an extremely boring draft. as had his eye on.
2: Yeah. <laughs> David,
1: any new reviews?
2: No new reviews. So I just like to really thank Callan for coming on. This one has been a lot of fun and we've been hoping and, and uh, teasing it for a while, actually, Max. So glad that Callan could finally join us. One last question to you both 23 games to go. I've got eight wins. Can either of you be more positive than that?
0: Uh, No, no. Oh, God. No, I can't. No, do you want me to actually tell you how many wins I think? Yeah, go for it. Three. Yeah, that sounds about right. I think this is the end of last year run, except it's happening way too early. I tweeted that a couple days ago. They lost 28 of 32 last year. They've lost 21 of 23 now, and there's still 24 games to go, so it's up to 22 24 or whatever. I think this is that run where they're going to lose. So how many more games is it again? 23?
2: 23.
0: So I think they're going to lose, uh, how many would that be? That would 40 or 45 is where I would have it, yeah. The only
1: hope here is that, and I haven't looked at the end of the schedule. I don't, I don't know if you have, David, to see what teams they're playing, but I, I truly don't think the Suns are going to go full tank at all at any point. Yeah. So They're just bad. So they do play teams that are just totally in the gutter. Maybe they can just screw up some wins that way.
2: Yeah, there's some really interesting games. The reason I got to eight is there's, you know, some against Cleveland, Atlanta. Uh, the the kind of cellar dweller teams and then as you just alluded to there's some really interesting ones right at the end where they might be against teams that uh, have even less motivation to win than the suns but i'm still hopeful Uh, i think the break came at a perfect time even if not a little bit overdue and uh, hopefully they can come back and show us a little bit more of uh, what we saw earlier in the year with that with the team competing i think we all hope for that On that note, please rate, review, and subscribe for
1: more of these just really fun, (laughs) exuberant Suns podcasts. Uh, I am MaxMCC11 on Twitter. He is the four-point play on Twitter. David, thanks. It was fun. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.